Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the Gospel of John in the first chapter, John chapter 1. I really, really like your theme, your motto for your missions conference this year from Matthew 5.16, Let Your Light So Shine. And I'd like to talk a little bit more today about that light in particular. Here in John chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse number 4 down to verse number 9. Speaking of Christ, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. We're going to be talking today about the light of the world. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you now for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for our Savior who has made it all possible. We thank you for the light that he has brought into this world and into our lives. And Father, may we be challenged today to take that light and lift it up before this much needy world. Help us now to have his heart and his passion in this endeavor. And Lord, we'll thank you for it. We pray now and ask all these things in his precious name. Amen. 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 There was a uh, fella years ago by the name of William Beebe. And uh, William Beebe was no armchair scholar. I mean, he had been around the world. He had uh, explored the jungles of Asia. He had been in the deepest part of the jungles of South America. And he was actually the first man to go down in a bathosphere to go down to the bottom of the ocean. He was uh, quite an explorer. And he had a good friend by the name of Teddy Roosevelt, who was also uh, quite the explorer. And these two men really enjoyed getting together at Sagamar Hill and, and having dinner together. And, and afterwards, they would go outside as the uh, sun had set and it was dark now. They would look out at the sky and they would challenge each other to be the first who could find the Andromeda galaxy. And, and uh, normally, Beebe would find that little smudge over there and, and he would say, there it is, the, the Andromeda galaxy. He'd say it's, it's uh, uh, just uh, as large as our Milky Way galaxy, and he would say it's one of 100 million galaxies. And Roosevelt would chime in, and he'd say it's uh, 750,000 light years all the way across it. And Beebe would say it consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. And they'd go back and forth until finally Roosevelt would flash his toothy grin, and he'd say, you know what? I think we're small enough now. Let's retire to bed for the night. And both these great men had been put in their place by a universe without walls. We live in quite a universe here. In fact, we think our earth is quite a big planet, and it is. You know, about 25,000 miles circumference around it there. And you could get in a car if you could and <clears throat> drive at 60 miles an hour, and, and you would take 17 days just to go around the earth day and night driving. And yet you could fit a million of our earths into the sun. In fact, a million point three of our <clears throat> earths into the sun. And <clears throat> excuse me, if you could take the sun and you could shrink it down to the size of a basketball, mercury would be the size of a grain of sand. And it would still be 80 feet away from the sun. And that would probably be about the back of the 
sanctuary here. Neptune would be two and a half miles away if the sun was the size of a basketball. In fact, if that were the case, our solar system would still be five and a half miles in diameter. And here we have a solar system. It's just one of billions like it here in the Milky Way galaxy. And we have in the Milky Way galaxy um, uh, one of just tens of billions of galaxies. And it's jaw-dropping if you stop and you think about it because it was all made by the Lord Jesus Christ according to our passage here. In fact, John's gospel in verse number one starts out with, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And if we want to know who the Word was, we drop down to verse number 14 and it tells us that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, John says, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. So we're talking about Jesus Christ here, the Word. And then we skip down to verse number 3. And it says, All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. That is incredible to me. You know, we live in a universe that is, is so incredible, and it's, it's so complex, and, and yet so elusive, and, and we don't know anything about it, and the more we think we know about it, the less we know about it. But there's design everywhere, and there's intelligence everywhere, and in the same way, somebody created this microphone I'm wearing right now. There is somebody who created your human eye, which is far more complex, or your human ear, or your brain, and we haven't even left, left the body. The, the fingerprints of God are everywhere in this universe. Every cell in your body, every a membrane, every molecule, every strand of DNA. It just screams God. There is a God. And it's the hand that made us, and it's divine. We read this in Psalm 11, verse 3. The Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We find that Jesus Christ made us, made us. And yet the scientific mind says that life is only chemistry. It's only something that evolved. And it's so ridiculous. We're not, we're not thinking, folks, as a society. There is somebody who hath made us. And if you don't realize that, you're not being observant or you just don't want to believe. And there are some who don't want to believe in God. I mean, he ruins their fun. They're thou shalt nots and thou shalts. They don't like that. They don't like the thought of having to stand before supreme God one day at the great white throne judgment. And, and so we find here, the Bible makes it clear from the get-go, God made us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus Christ made all things according to verse number 3. And so we find the beginning of, of the Gospel of John telling us really the very beginning of things. And in, unlike the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke, we don't just go back to Abraham or we don't just go back to Adam. We go back to the very beginning. And it tells us in the beginning was God. John reaches way back to the very beginning to this one known as the light, the light of the world. And as we consider him this morning... We see, first of all, what I call the people's confusion. In, in verse number four, speaking of Christ, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Notice the word life. Notice the word light. These are two words that John uses over and over again in his gospel. And by the way, the gospel of John only contains 600 words total, roughly in it. And you say, well, that's a lot of different words. No, that's the vocabulary of about a seven-year-old. John keeps it very, very simple here. 
And he talks about these two things, life and light. And he says in verse 4, in him was life. In Christ was life. That's the big question today, isn't it? Where did life come from? And they're searching the uh, universe, looking on Mars and places like that for the origin of life. We know who the source of life is. The Bible tells us in him was life. Now, he made us, but nobody made him. He's always been. He is self-existent. He is deity. You know, only God can self-exist. And everyone else, like you and me, we have a creator. And that's what separates us from God. We, we have our creation. We have our creator. And we read this in Romans chapter 125 of the ungodly. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. We have a society that elevates man. We have a society that ignores God and worships the creature. I mean, we're talking horizontally, worships man more than God and says that man is it. And it's called humanism. We lift ourselves up by our bootstraps. We say, we've arrived. This is as high as it goes. But the fact of the matter is we have a creator. And the very first words out of the mouth of God tell us that in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That might be just the most assaulted truth we find in our society today. The fact that we have a creator. Because if we can explain him away, we can, we can get rid of our accountability to him, having to answer to him, having to stand before him one day. And so we come up with all these queries and theories, anything to explain God away. And, and now they're saying, well, maybe aliens of some type, some higher form of, of intelligence made us. And I just shake my head and I'm going, you know what, anything... For man to live by his own whims and by his own rules and to justify doing that. Any way to keep from having to stand before him one day and to give an account for their lives. But really, all those excuses and all that rationale, it's not fooling anybody. The bottom line is we have sinners here that don't want to stand before God and give an account for their life. But all creation received life from him. You know, there was a time when the universe didn't exist. But there... There hasn't been a time when God didn't exist. He is the everlasting, he calls himself. And we read in Acts 17, 28, For in him we live and move and have our being. We are also his offspring. He made us. He made us. Now back here in our text, we find in verse number four, the Bible says in him Christ was life was life. Science searches for the source of life. We have it right here, folks. In him was life. And then it goes on. And it says, the life was the light of man. It's a double blessing. In him was life. And the life that came from him was light. Because we have a world of people in darkness, in darkness. They need spiritual illumination, they are into all forms of idolatry. They ignore God. You've got your, your Eastern religions. But, but folks, there has always been the need for light, and especially in the day and age in which we live. I mentioned the other night, I don't know if it's ever been this dark. We live in a world of, of great darkness. And Zephaniah, an Old Testament minor prophet, had this to say as he described the end times in which we're living in. In Zephaniah 1.15, he said, that day is a day of wrath, 
a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. I don't know of any other adjectives, I don't know other way to describe how dark it is. We live in dark days. You know, I mentioned a little bit this week about my upbringing and, and uh, my salvation. Today's kind of a special day for me. It, it was 42 years ago today that I called on Christ in repentance and faith and was born again. I, I'm, I'm celebrating a, a spiritual birthday and I'm thinking of the darkness that I was in before I got saved and, and how badly I needed illumination, how badly I needed light and, and how um, I rejected it as God was bringing it across my path through various people and, and literature. I was like holding it at arm's length and, and holding on to my old traditional religion and, and finally God just broke me. And God showed me I was lost on the road to hell. And on March 5th, 1981, in repentance and faith, I called upon Christ and was saved. You know, I think of that song. I love this song by Charles Wesley. I, I've seen the organ it was composed on over in, in England, in London. And, and it, it's the song, And Can It Be? And in one chorus, one verse of it says, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was set free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That describes that Thursday night 42 years ago today when God saved me. I'm so thankful for that. For 21, nearly 21 years, I was groping around in the dark for the light switch. I mean, really trying to find out, figure out the truth. And, and here's Jesus Christ. He provides that. In him was light. And yet, we find in verse number five, and the light shineth <clears throat> in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light shineth in darkness. Folks, the truth is out there. I mean, there's Bibles aplenty. You can, you can figure it out for yourself. The light shining in the darkness. Christ has come. It's no secret. There is more evidence that Jesus Christ walked this earth 2,000 years ago than there is that Thomas Jefferson walked the earth 200 years ago. There's no question he walked this earth. The effect of Christ has been worldwide. There was a, uh, actually a, a, a Roman historian who was Jewish, and I'm sure you've heard the name, Flavius Josephus. He was born in about 37 A.D., died about 100 A.D. And so we've got somebody that came within really four years of the time of Christ, nearly an eyewitness of this. And he has written a, a comprehensive study of the Jewish people and Jewish history. And of course, a crucial part of Jewish history would be Jesus Christ, the greatest Jew ever, and though this is an extra-biblical source, he mentions Herod, uh, he mentions Pilate in it, he mentions Annas and Caiaphas, he, he mentions all these same people we find in the Bible. And this is what Josephus had to say about Christ. He says, at this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous. Now keep in mind, he never got saved himself. This is a lost man talking. Many people among the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned them to be crucified and to die. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets have reported wonders. 
And the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. Well, that was the first century, and they still haven't disappeared to this day. Here you have a lost Jewish historian talking, but talking about how this one changed the world. And we know from the Bible, his followers turned the world upside down, even in the first century. And there's no question that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. There is so much evidence of that. It's one of the most credible things that we find in history. In fact, there would be a time when the Apostle Paul would stand on trial before a heathen king by the name of Agrippa. And in Acts 26, he would say, For the king knoweth of these things, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. I love that expression. Folks, this thing wasn't done in a corner. This wasn't done off in some obscure land where nobody knew anything about it. This is something the world knows. And so we find here back in, in verse number five, and the light shineth in darkness. And it did. Like a million watt LED beacon, it shined in the darkness. And yet there are the lost, there are the blinded, there are the unconverted, and we find that they don't get it. They miss it somehow. The Bible describes this. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Let's get it down. The condition that this world is in is one of blindness. The natural man, the unsaved man, receiveth not. We would say understands not the things of the Spirit of God, <clears throat> for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them. Without God's help, he cannot, because they are spiritually discerned. And so we find here in verse number 5, it says, And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Add to that 2 Corinthians 4, telling us, The God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We have a world in darkness. Reminds me of a story of a man that uh, was blind, and he was a beggar, and he had a tin cup, and this was back in the 1800s. He was in a big city, and he sat on a, a busy corner, and every day he, he, he sat there with his cup begging for alms, and, and he had this lantern next to him, and and as the sun set and it became dark one night, somebody came up to him and said, are you really blind? He said, yes, I'm blind. He said, well, what do you need a lantern for? It doesn't do you any good. He said, no, it's not for me. It's for others so they don't stumble over me. We live in a world of darkness. People are stumbling. And I'm talking about even religious people. You can be religious and still be in the dark. You know, that was me. I was very religious before I got saved. I went to church every, every Sunday. But you know that verse where, where Christ talks about, if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? That was me. I had my religion. I had my tradition. I'd been baptized as a baby. I'd taken communion. I'd been confirmed. I, I had all this stuff going for me. That was my light. I, I thought I was in the one true church. I, that would punch my ticket to heaven for sure. And, and that was the light I had. But... If the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? I was doubly dark. I needed illumination. I was spiritually dead. And that's the condition we're in before salvation. Ephesians 2.1 mentions you who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
It looks hopeless. It looks helpless. You say, what chance do I have? Well, I have some good news for you. We read this in Jeremiah 29, 13. God says, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. That's a promise from God. If you search, if you seek, you find that if you draw nigh to him, he draws nigh unto you. And he will. He will. You know, you can always tell if somebody's searching, somebody's seeking. I do a number of Bible studies with people one-on-one back home, and, and it's very interesting to listen to them. With their own mouths, they really tell me where they're at. I was having a Bible study with a dear lady several weeks ago, and, and she was, in her honest way, just talking about where she was at spiritually. And as I listened, I thought of where, where Christ said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. She got saved a couple of weeks later. We have a promise from God, ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. We see, first of all, the people's confusion. Secondly, we see here the prophet's confirmation. Now, up to this point, as we open the Gospel of John, we find all this celestial talk. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. He's been forever. And and it's all this eternal stuff. And then something striking takes place here. It shifts here. Out of the blue, it goes from the celestial to the terrestrial. And it's so abrupt. It it starts in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Out of the blue, John the Apostle says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John the Apostle is not talking about himself here. He never mentions himself in the Gospel of John. He's talking about another John. He's talking about John the Baptist. And it tells us here there was a man sent from God. We don't have to wonder who sent John the Baptist. God sent John the Baptist. The Old Testament foretold his coming 400 years before this time. In Malachi 3.1, God says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, this is Christ talking. He's the me in this verse here. And when you see Lord all in caps there, it's the word Jehovah. We have Jehovah Jesus foretelling the arrival of John the Baptist on the scene 400 years prior, saying, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, saith the Lord of hosts. So John the Baptist would arrive on the scene. The Old Testament would foretell the message he brought with him 700 years prior. In Isaiah 40 and in verse 3, it calls him the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then the Old Testament closes. And, And 400 years go by and there's not a prophet from God. There's not a word from heaven. There's not a, thus saith the Lord. We call them the 400 silent years. And finally, we find somebody show up on the horizon, and it's John the Baptist. And he uh, creates quite a stir. It's no wonder after all these centuries of silence from heaven, now there's a sensation. And we read in Mark 1, 5, and there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, And we're all baptized of him in the river of Jordan. We find John the Baptist arrives on the scene. He's going to be quite a character. He's going to be rugged eh, like Elijah, the spirit of Elijah. We read in Luke 1.17, as his birth is announced, it says, And he, John the Baptist, shall go before him, Christ, 
in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John comes on the scene. And by the way, his, his, his birth was not a, a virgin birth, but it was a very special birth. You've got two old people here and, uh, and they're way past childbearing years. And all of a sudden God performs a miraculous birth and they, they bring John the Baptist into the world. He's one of a kind. In fact, we read this in Luke 1.15. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. You ever looked at that and said, now wait a minute, Pastor. Filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Is that implying that he was, uh, don't ask, I have no idea. I, I can't explain, God, that's the only thing I can say is, is somehow John was so different. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Now we read back here in verse number six, there was a man sent from God, a man sent from God, John the Baptist. You say, Pastor, why do you call yourself a Baptist? Are you trying to elevate John? No, I'm not trying to elevate John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist would have a lapse even before he dies. He was a human like us. But the New Testament church movement began with John the Baptist. I think a careful study of it will find uh, John the Baptist out there in the desert winning souls, baptizing converts somewhere about a, a year and a half or so before the time of Christ. And when Christ comes on the scene, he shifts his followers over to Christ, his converts to Christ. And they all had Baptist baptism. And, and honestly, I know this, if you're baptized by a Lutheran minister, you're a Lutheran. If you're baptized by a Mormon elder, you're a Mormon. Well, who baptized John? Or, or who did John baptize? He baptized those followers and they became Baptists. And so we find out this is the prelude to the New Testament church. Christ takes those converts as kind of a, a tagging off. And, and John decreases, Jesus increases. And, and John has fulfilled his mission at that point, And he has put, uh, put to death at that point. Now, there are a lot of folks who think that uh, Baptists came uh, as a spinoff of a spinoff of a spinoff going back to the Protestant Reformation. But, you know, when, when I got saved, I knew all those years of being told I was in the one true church were not true. And so suddenly I'm going, okay, I read here where Christ said, I will, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so Christ had to have started a church and the gates of hell have not shut it down. Where is it today? And so for some months after I got saved, I studied a lot of church history. I, I, I wanted to find a church that could pass the historical test. I wanted to find the church that could pass the persecution test. And, you know, I did full circle and I ended up right back where I got saved. And I've been there ever since for the past 42 years. Couldn't, could the, can the Baptists actually trace their lineage back to the time of Christ? Well, let me give you some quotes here, and none of them by Baptists. This one is found in the Edinburgh Encyclopedia. <clears throat> and it says, quote, The Baptists are the same sect of Christians that were formerly described as Anabaptists from the time of Tertullian to the present time. You say, well, what was the time of Tertullian? Tertullian was born just 50 years after the death of John the Apostle. And so we basically got ourselves back near that first century. And then there's a quote taken from a John Ridpath, a Methodist historian. He didn't like Baptists. 
He said, I should not readily admit that there was a Baptist church as far back as 100 A.D., yet all Christians were then Baptists. He's saying, I don't want to admit this, but it's, it's true. And then here's a quote from Cardinal Hoseus. He said, the Baptists existed 400 years prior to Augustine. Now, Cardinal Hoseus is an interesting fellow. He headed up the Council of Trent in 1546, which assembled out of concern of all the people who were bailing on the Catholic Church at that time. And he was the head of the Council of Trent and a great historian. And he had this to say of the Baptists. Baptists existed 400 years prior to Augustine, who who lived in 430. You do the math. Subtract 400. And you've got us back to 30 A.D. And then we find here a quote from Sir Isaac Newton. He said, The Baptists are the only body of known Christians that have never symbolized with Roman Catholicism or been a a spinoff. By the way, of all the brilliant men who've ever lived, Sir Isaac Newton has been voted as number one. He was no dummy. He did his homework. And he said, the Baptists are the only ones who can go back to that first century. And then there was a thesis written years ago that, that had um, the heads of the history departments from Harvard and Brown and Yale and, and places like that. And also had scholars on the board like President Roosevelt and President Wilson. And, and they studied the history of churches in this, this thesis and called, called Crossing the Centuries. And they said this. The Baptists have an unbroken continuity of existence from the apostolic days down through the centuries. Throughout this period, they were bitterly persecuted, imprisoned, tortured, and slain. That's quite an indictment, isn't it? And so it tells us where we got our roots, we got our heritage. We are Baptists. There's a lot of contempt for that name. I understand that. But I believe that Christ started a church, a Baptist church, and I believe that. I'm not ashamed of that. Now, we find in verse number six, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. And then it says, the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. That's Christ. That all men through him might believe. That all men through him. The him here is Christ. That all men through Christ might believe. Folks, there's no other way to get to heaven. There's no other means of salvation. You don't get there through Mary. You don't get there through Muhammad. You don't get there through Buddha. But that all men through him might be saved. Christ himself claimed to be the only way. In John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christ didn't say I'm I'm one of the ways. He did not say I'm a good way. He did not say I'm a better way. He didn't even say I'm the best way. He said, I'm the only way. I'm the only way. And he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And we have celebrities out there saying, oh, it really doesn't matter what you believe. I even had a clergyman years ago tell one of my relatives I was witnessing to that it didn't matter what you believe. That Finding God was like a bicycle wheel. And God is that hub in the middle. And all those spokes going to that hub represent different ways of getting to God. And this in-law of mine said, oh, that sounds so wonderful. It might sound wonderful, but it's a lie. And it's calling Christ a liar. Jesus himself said he's the only way. And he said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, we've talked about the people's confusion and the prophet's confirmation and Finally, we see what I call the planet's Christ. 
in verse number 8. It says of John, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh in to the world. John said, I'm not that light. I'm just here to bear witness of that light. You know, years ago, the uh, astronomers thought that uh, the, uh, the moon gave off its, its own light. And of course, we know today it's, it's just a reflection of the sun. But that's what John is saying. I'm not the light. I, I, I'm just here to reflect the light. I, I, I'm just here to point people to the light. You know, the, the followers of John the Baptist, they got a little bit worked up about this. And they said, you know, this Jesus, he, he's kind of taken our crowds away. And people are following him now. And, and maybe need to do something about this. And I like what John said in John 3.30. Of Christ, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And then in verse 29, John said, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He said, I'm just happy to be standing next to the the bridegroom, uh, to be his sidekick, to be his servant. I don't need any spotlight. And so John deflected all that light back to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what made him the greatest prophet ever. In fact, Jesus had that to say about him. In Luke 7, he said, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. He was even called by Christ more than a prophet. Now, in verse number 8, the Bible says he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. There's something about light, folks. Something special about light. You know, Einstein came up with his, his theory of relativity, and, and everybody was just amazed by that. But he said, you know, really, it wasn't that hard once I found something that was an absolute constant. He said, there's so many variables in the universe. He said, but, but the speed of light is always 186,000 miles a second. That's fast. I mean, think of that going around the globe. I mean, seven or eight times in one tick of the clock, a, a very second. And he said, once we had that, we could discover the theory of relativity. Now, in verse number eight, it says he was not that light. That light is Jesus. Jesus is the, the true light. He's called that in verse nine. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. There are a lot of false lights in the world. There's a lot of impersonators. There's a lot of gurus and a lot of swamis and a lot of wannabes who come along on the scene and, and they say, I've got the answers. Follow me. No, Jesus Christ is the true light. And you can believe what you want, but I'm going to follow the true light. Now we find this also in verse number nine. It's notable. It says, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Everybody gets an opportunity for salvation. I believe that. Everybody gets a chance. I know there are some who believe you're elected to, to go to hell or to go to heaven and you have no, no say in the matter. But I don't believe that. It's not predetermined. It's, it's not rigged as it were. I find from Genesis on that God gives man a free choice. Even back in the garden, there's that free choice. And my Bible tells me that God's not willing that any should perish 
but that all should come to repentance. And we read this in 2 Timothy 2.4. It says, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Have you been saved? Have you come to the knowledge of the truth? Because you qualify. God is not willing that any should perish. Have you had a time in your life like I had 42 years ago today when you understood you were lost? You, you were on the road to hell. You were a sinner. You could not save yourself. And in repentance, you changed your mind about your sin, your life, and turned to Christ in faith and called upon him. And you were born again the Bible way. Your, your life changed. It's never been the same for you. Have you seen the light? God might have you listening right now on purpose. I don't know where anybody's at here spiritually. But I do know salvation is for everybody. And if you're not saved, seek the light. Seek more light. God's not willing that any man should perish. And again it says in verse 9, That, that be in Christ, was a true light which lighteth every man that cometh in to the world. That light, friend, has filled the world. There was a, a, a business owner. He had a little mercantile store years ago. And this was over in Europe. And he was getting up there in age. He had four apprentices. And he wanted his business to carry on. And he wasn't quite sure which one of those four he should sell the business to. And so he proposed a, a contest, if you will. He gave them each a coin, all four of them. And he said, I want you to go out and buy something and bring it back here and fill this room as much as possible with it, the showroom there. And so they went out thinking, what can I buy that'll fill that room as much as possible? And one guy came back with bales of hay, something cheap and something he could get for his coin. And, and he tried to fill the room, but it just filled a, a small pittance of the room. Another one, he, he bought some dirt, dirt cheap, and, and uh, he brings it in wheelbarrows to that room and, and tries to fill it, but that didn't fill the room. Somebody else thought, ah, water, water's cheap. And so he bought some water and he brought it in buckets and tried to fill the room with it, but it didn't fill much of the room. And finally, the fourth guy, he took his coin and he went out and he bought four candles. And he brought them back to the room and he stuck one in each corner and he lit them and and the light filled the room, and the owner knew he had his man. You'll be the one I sell my business to. You know, we have a light, folks, that just hasn't filled a room. It's filled the world. It's filled the universe. And in verse number 9, it mentions he's that true light, which lighteth every man that cometh in to the world. You know, for 21 years of my life, I was groping around in the dark look, looking for that light switch. And, and again, that, that song... His eye diffused a quickening ray. It describes so well the dungeon I was living in. And all of a sudden, it was aflame with light. And the chains fell off. And my heart was free. You know, if, if you are a born-again Christian, we have a light that we are to take to the world. And I said it the other night. It's easy for us to look at this world and, and, and get disgusted with the world, get fed up with the world, throw our hands up and curse the world and curse the dark. Folks, why not just turn on the light? We're standing next to the switch, as it were, cursing the world when we need to turn on the light. Do something about it. That's the motto here. Let your light so shine. Let your light so shine. Share your faith. Point people to Christ. Stop cursing the darkness and give off some light. You know, we read in Matthew 5, before this verse, 
verse 15, and it says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light to all that are in the house. I don't know about you, but I'll never forget when uh, I got my first flashlight as a little boy to play around with. And, of course, I wore out the battery. But before I did, I, I found out something really cool about a flashlight. If, if you took it into a dark room and you set it on the, the floor, it, you just saw a little red glow at the bottom at the end there, the old flashlights. But as you lifted it up, that circle became bigger as you lifted the flashlight up in the air. Folks, let's lift up Christ. He's the light. And as we do, let him shine. Raise up Christ. Don't hide him. You know, we have young people here. And you live in certain neighborhoods. No reason you can't take that light to your little friends through track forms and whatever else. We have dads here who could take that light down to work where they work at. We have moms here who could take that light to McDonald's as the kids are playing in the, in the playground there and talk to another lady whose kids are also playing in the playland there. We have neighbors. We have co-workers. We, we have folks down the hall from where we live in the apartment. And, and really, I, I just want to challenge the Lehigh Valley Baptist Church to lift up Christ and let that light shine even more and more and, 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 and make this dark world a, a lighter place through our testimony. And, and, and basically let our light so shine that others might behold him. I was talking to somebody yesterday who is going to be going to Scotland here in a, a few months. And then ironically, I walk in last night to the banquet and there's a table back in that area. And, and it's, uh, it has Edinburgh on it, Scotland. I've been to Edinburgh a couple of times. I started telling them things about Edinburgh and then thought maybe I'm boring them and telling them more than they want to know. But, but uh, it's a great town. It's also the hometown of, of Robert Louis Stevenson, that poet and uh, that uh, writer. When Robert Louis Stevenson was a little boy growing up in Edinburgh, he used to love the, to watch the man who went around at night as the sun was setting and walk up the ladder and, and, and light the streetlights one at a time. Of course, it got dark as that was happening. And, and by the time that man would get to the street of, of little Robert Louis Stevenson, it was pretty dark out. And so Robert Louis Stevenson loved to look out his window and watch this happen. And, and, and as he got older, his little mind began to work and and, and one night he was watching this happen, and all of a sudden this little voice came out of the room, Mom, Dad, there's a man out there, and he's punching holes in the dark. And to him, that's what it looked like. Folks, let's punch some holes in the dark. In the time we have left before Christ comes back, let's make a difference. Notice again as we close here in verse 4, it says of Christ, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then skip to verse number nine. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The light of the world is Jesus. Let's lift him up that others might behold him.